So I run into this dilemma. I run into it every year with a couple of holidays, Easter and Christmas, because I'm obligated to talk about Christmas every Christmas and Easter every Easter. But it's the same story in the Bible. It never changes. And so I kind of feel weird telling the same story over and over and over again because I figured you've heard it a hundred times, but yet I can't not talk about it. And it's really important. So what do I do this year to present the Easter story, but not the same old way you've heard it year after year after year? So I decided, ah, I know what I'll do. I'll summarize the Easter story in one word. That should be interesting. And it's true. I can get it down to one word easily. And so I started writing my sermon, and I was like, well, you know, one word, maybe three words. Three words is good. So I came up with three, four, five, six. Ah, Easter in six words, sermon's almost done. Six, that's not a good number. I need a nice round number, a nice godly biblical number. Easter in seven words. So now we got Easter in seven words. So my hope is by the time you leave this morning, these seven words will key in your mind the entire Easter story. Let me give you the words, and then we'll go through them one at a time. The first word is ruin. And Michael put together some nice pictures for us to help drive the words home. The second word is love. That was, by the way, one of those one-word sermons I could have used. The other was resurrection, but I decided to do different. Restoration, the third word. And then death, the fourth word. Life, the fifth word. Faith, the sixth word. And then the seventh word is repentance. These seven words have the entire Easter story wrapped up into them. And so I'm going to teach you a little bit about each of the words and then put all seven together in a paragraph at the end that I'll just read for you. So I want to talk about ruin. That's my first word. The Easter story really starts at the beginning with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were given paradise. In fact, one of the Jewish expressions for heaven is the Garden of Eden. Even to this very day, when some Jewish people think about going to the afterlife, they don't necessarily say heaven, they say the Garden of Eden. It was paradise. It was perfect. There was nothing they could have wanted more. They gave them simple rule. There's a tree in the midst of the garden. Leave it alone. Definitely do not eat from it. And if you do, you'll die. Now, let me ask you a question. Somebody offers you paradise. Now, for me, it's a tropical island. For you, it might be, you know, 500 acres up in the White Mountains. Okay, I'll take my 500 acres in the White Mountains on a tropical island. <laughs> that would be perfect for me. All, the food's just growing. You just pick it. You don't even have to hunt. In fact, there is no hunting because animals don't die. Everything's perfect. The weather is a constant whatever perfect is for you. That's what it is with a nice little breeze fresh water, nothing you could ever want. What would you do to screw it up? One rule. Oh, I know it's a perfect tropical paradise. It's got everything you want, but there is one tree in the very middle of the island with some poisonous fruit on it. Just don't eat from that tree and you'll be fine. <laughs> I want to eat from that tree. Who would do that? That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. I mean, think about it. It's like, boy, that was stupid. But see, it wasn't just they thought, gee, I want to die today. There was a trickster. 
he came in and he said, you know, there's a reason God doesn't want you to eat from this tree. It's not because you'll die. It's because it'll make you really super duper smart like God himself. And he doesn't want you to be as smart as he is. So eat from the tree. Knowledge is a good thing, right? Yeah. You, you want to be smart, don't you? Yeah. So let's make your first smart act the dumbest decision you've ever made. <laughs> when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, they alienated themselves from God. They chose sides, and it was the wrong side. And they brought about spiritual death. But Adam and Eve were not just given the garden. The entire universe really was made for us, for humans. And so when Adam and Eve fell from God's grace, the entire universe fell with them. That's why we have hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. That's why babies die. That's why there's disease. That's why meteorites come from outer space and just destroy people. Everything's falling apart. We're used to it because that's the life we know. But that's not how it was. The whole universe has become unhinged. Even our planet wobbles. We're just falling apart because Adam and Eve turned their backs from God. This is what it means to be ruined. I want you to understand the Easter story is the story in how God plans to fix it. But everything got ruined. And not only did everything start to break, but listen to what the Bible says. Sin came into the world through one man, and his sin brought death with it. That's why we die. You know, uh, recently a, a friend of ours, one of our congregants from the Saturday morning congregation, uh, passed away. And everybody always asks when somebody dies, what did they die from? And though I don't like to be silly, they died from death. That's what everybody dies from. I mean, does it really matter? Oh, they died from old age. Nobody dies from old age. They die from death. They died from cancer. They died from death. Death comes as a consequence of this fallen world that we're in. We all die from sin. That's why we die. Let me read it to you again. Sin came into the world through one man, and his sin brought death with it. And as a result... Death has spread to the whole human race because everyone has sinned. Everybody sins. So Easter is about fixing this problem. Now, sin is not a popular word today. You don't turn on the you know, Oprah Winfrey network and she t talks to you all about sin. Everything's about how wonderful and good things are. And I guess the worse things get, the more they have to say that, so we might believe some of it. The world is falling apart. Let me tell you what sin is. Sin is three things. The most important is the last one. So, Sin is when we do things God doesn't want us to do. That's sin. When we don't do things that God does want us to do, that is also sin. But the third thing is we're incapable of changing number one and two. Sin is an infection in our soul. We can't help ourselves. You know, I'm thinking about when somebody gets uh, cancer of the brain, they start behaving in a weird way. They, they become forgetful. They, they may start hallucinating and acting out and even doing bizarre things. And we say, ah, you can't get angry with them. They can't help it. They have a brain tumor. I understand. Well, sin is like cancer on the soul. And we start doing immoral things. And we can't help it because we've got the cancer of the soul. Just like the brain cancer makes us do stupid things, the sin on the soul makes us do immoral things. And we can't help it. Now, I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm not saying I'm the exception to the rule. I can't help it either. The only exception was Jesus. But let me ask you an honest question, because I, I don't want us all to feel bad alone. I want us all to feel bad together. 
How many of you knew that there was something wrong and you didn't want to do it, but you did it anyway? Let me see your hand. That's what I'm talking about. You knew it was wrong, you didn't want to do it, and you still did it. Sin is a reality. It's an infection on our soul. Ruin. That's our first word. Second word is love. See, even though we got ruined and we ruined ourselves by disobeying God and going with the devil's plan rather than his plan, God loves us. He loves us so much. He doesn't want to leave us ruined. And so the second word to help us understand the Easter story is God's love. He's not going to leave us without a way out. He's going to provide a solution. He can restore us to our original condition. And that, by the way, is the third word, restoration. So we've got ruin, we've got love, and we've got restoration. God has promised to give us a way back to a sinless state, which will eventually end up in a place like the Garden of Eden all over again. There's a journey, and there's a solution, and that's the Easter story. So the third word is restoration. The fourth word is the word death. Now, I've already talked to you a little bit about death. Sin brought death in. But it's a very interesting thing. Sin is the cause of death, but death is the pathway back to life. Jesus died for our sins, and so if we believe in him, he gives us eternal life. It's a funny thing. God takes the worst thing in the universe, death, and uses it as a way to get back to life. How insane is that? We can't do that. You know, imagine going to the junkyard and finding the worst junker out there and using that for your new limo service. You can't do that. God can do that. God can go to the junkyard, touch a piece and say, boom, super Cadillac. We, we just throw it away because we don't know what to do with it anymore. Well, sin caused death. Death ruined everything. God used death to create a pathway back to life. It's just, it's amazing. It's just simply amazing. Listen to what it says about Jesus' death leading to life from the book of Romans in the Bible. From the time of Adam, the first man, death ruled over all human beings. Through the sin of one man, death began to rule because of that one man. But how much greater is the result of what was done by the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as the one sin condemned all people, in the same way, the one righteous act sets all people free and gives them life. Adam screwed it up for all of us. Jesus fixes it. Here's how the Bible puts it in just simple words. Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us back to God. Amazing what he can do with death. So we've got ruin, we've got love, we've got restoration, we've got death, and obviously we've got life. If somebody told you the path to salvation was Jesus' death, they're not telling you the whole story. And it's true, Jesus died for our sins. But you go to Jerusalem, the tomb's empty. It's not that he just died for our sins, he rose from the dead. 
And that's why I throw the life in as our, the word life in is our next word. It's not enough that he died. Lots of people die. Everybody dies. But he rose from the dead. And it's not... We talk about the resurrection of Jesus as a miracle. And it's really not. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. He is the prince of life. It was a miracle that we could kill him in the first place. That he allowed himself to die. But if sin is the cause of death, and he was sinless, then how did he die? He should have never been able... He was unkillable. He died by taking all the world's sin onto himself. And that killed the Son of God. But since he was sinless and God, he could dissolve all that sin into nothingness and pop alive again. And that's exactly what happened. See, the miracle, in my mind, isn't that he rose from the dead. The miracle is that he died and stayed dead for as long as he was. He was dead for like three days. How did he stay dead that long? That was a miracle. It must have been hard work to stay dead that long when you're the prince of life. But he had some things to do. He had to go down to the underworld, bring paradise up to heaven. It's, it's written in the book. But he came back to life again. And so it's not just that Jesus died for us. It's that Jesus rose for us. In fact, the resurrection is what Easter, they say, is all about. But as you've seen, it's about a lot more than that. Let me read to you, though, some of that resurrection story. Don't think of this as, a, as like a fairy tale. This is history. So try to put yourself in the place of the disciples. They're thinking Jesus is the Messiah. He, he, he just might be the Son of God. He, he's the one that's going to rescue us from the Romans and set up God's kingdom. This is great. Next thing you know, it, he's arrested, crucified, and died. Think you might be a little confused, a little depressed, a little hopeless? You thought he was the Son of God, and now he's dead. Boy, are you feeling stupid right about now. But wait a minute, I saw him walk on water. I saw him feed thousands. He, he resurrected people from the dead. I don't know what to think. That's what's going on with them. They're totally confused and distraught. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, a member of the council. This was the Jewish leadership council. We're always taught that the Jews rejected Christ. That is not true. Some Jews rejected Christ, and some Romans rejected Christ. And those groups conspired together and killed him. And he died as a volunteer for your sins and mine. So who killed Jesus? We killed Jesus. But this guy, Joseph, wasn't complicit. He was a good man, even though he was a leader at the time. There was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. So Jesus was crucified. This group of women stayed there with him watched his last breath, watched him die, stayed with his body. Joseph went away, Joseph came back, took his body. They followed Joseph to see where he was going to be buried. Because there's a way you properly handle a body at death, and they wanted to make sure Jesus was handled properly. So they followed him to see where he took Jesus. They saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. They were getting ready to you know, and anoint his body. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices and they prepared and went to the tomb. 
they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Okay, stop. How would you feel? You've been to the cemetery. Imagine a close friend of yours, your, your mom, your dad, your brother, your spouse is dead. You're in miserably grieving state. You go to the cemetery the next day to bring flowers, and there's a hole in the ground, the headstone's gone, and the coffin's gone. Hey! And then you see the, the grave digger, the gardener, and you're like, hey, where, where did you put him? What's, what's going on? That actually happened in one of the narratives. They found a gardener and said, where'd you move his body? But it wasn't a gardener. <laughs> While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Wow. This is a reprimand. They came to anoint a dead body. They should have known Jesus wasn't dead. They should have known. He told them, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be crucified, buried, and rise on the third day. He told them. They just were too blind to hear, to understand. And so now these angels show up and said, what are you guys doing here? You know he's not here. He told you. It's a reprimand. What are you doing looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember, he told you while he was still in Galilee. And then he quotes Jesus, the angel. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. And then they remembered his words. Can you imagine being an angel? You've got to understand, God picked us, human beings, as his primary creation. We're even over angels. Eventually, it says we're going to lead angels. We will judge angels. But right now, i got to think angels are thinking, man, God, you might have made a mistake with these people. They are dense. I mean, you told them yourself that you were going to rise from the dead. Did they listen? No. I mean, you rose Lazarus. You rose Tabitha. You walked on the Sea of Galilee. You calmed the storm. What's it take to get through these people? I'm sure the angels are just like, again? Really? Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. The eleven apostles, those who are the only ones left. Judas is dead now. And to all the others. So they came to all the Christians and said, you'll never believe what we just saw. Now let me take a break there for a second. I already told you Jesus rose from the dead because as the scripture says, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He was the prince of life. But what I didn't tell you is something that Jesus said to his disciples. He said, because I live, you too will live. You will die someday, more than likely. We do. That's what happens in this world. But he promised we will get up again just like he did. That's our hope. That's what we're looking forward to. And he promised. He said, because I live, you live. You see, if Jesus died and never rose from the dead, his promise would have been worthless. He couldn't conquer death himself. He certainly couldn't conquer it for us. But he did conquer death. He proved it. And so we should have on Easter great joy, knowing that just as Jesus rose from the dead, the day will come when we, too, will see a resurrection of the dead. So the women come back to tell the disciples this great news. And let me quote to you the scripture. They did not believe the women. 
because their words seem to them like nonsense. And you, you just know Gabriel saying, see, them too, see? <laughs> he wasn't. But why don't we believe? Why don't we believe? And that brings me to our sixth word, the word faith. We have such a hard time. You know, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But faith doesn't come easy to us human beings. It must be the sin thing making us stubborn, stupid. I don't know, because we should be much more willing to believe. Now, I know I'm talking to you. You're in church. You, you believe. What about the empty chairs, though? How come all those people out playing golf this morning? They don't believe. Why? Why don't they believe? Well, because faith doesn't come easy. The women didn't believe. The apostles didn't believe. I've got a video clip. I'm going to ask Pastor Michael to turn off the lights so we can take a look at this clip. My name is Thomas, and I struggle with doubt. I followed Jesus for years. From the very first day he called me, I saw things so amazing that defied explanation. I believed. But then things fell apart. I witnessed the betrayal that led to the cruel march to Calvary and his agonizing crucifixion. I survived, but everyone I knew scattered. My world collapsed. Then came news of the empty tomb, the very first Easter. But I resisted. The image of his broken, lifeless body was still burned into my memory. I experienced his death that I couldn't believe. Not until I see the scars with my own eyes and touch them with my own hands, I told the others. I wasn't ready to put my trust in something again. But Jesus came to me. He knew my doubts. He even named them. But he wasn't angry. He didn't rebuke me or dismiss me. He looked at me with those familiar eyes and offered me his scarred hands inside. In that moment, I experienced his resurrection and I believed. I know firsthand it's difficult to believe in what you can't see. And yet all around you are people whose lives and stories have scars that bear witness to the meaning of Easter. Yes, these people have been wounded, but they've experienced redemption and healing through Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were meant to rescue the doubters, the debtors, and the broken. People like you and me. He met my doubts with grace and love, and he only asked one thing of me. Believe. And so that's why the word faith is our next word. You know, Jesus told Thomas, he said, because you've seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and believe. How many of you believe? Let me see your hands. Jesus says you're blessed. You've got more faith than the apostles did. You didn't see him walk on the Sea of Galilee. 
You didn't see him feed the multitudes with fish and bread. You didn't see him raise Lazarus from the dead. And you didn't see him resurrected from the dead. And yet you still believe. So let me give you some encouragement. It's a good thing you, you do. Your faith is well spoken of in heaven. You are blessed because you believe. It's a wonderful thing. Don't put yourselves down anymore. You have more faith than the apostles. When you get to heaven, you're going to hear, well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So after Jesus raises from the dead, he met with his disciples and he had a lot of things to tell them. But I've got one little snippet I want to share with you. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer, Christ, Messiah, same word, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Sin is a word you don't hear a lot about nowadays, and repentance is the other one. He referenced the scripture, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. If we don't tell people about repentance, we're not telling them the full story. You're not getting the whole gospel. If you don't hear about repentance, you're not hearing the full Easter message. Repentance is an extremely important aspect of this story. The best way I can explain it to you, what repentance means, is by reading to you that paragraph I told you. I was going to put all seven words together in a paragraph. And I'm using repentance throughout there to help you understand its word. So let me just read to you that paragraph I wrote up to help you understand what repentance means. Sin ruined us spiritually and morally. Repentance means we recognize sin and we reject it. God loves us and he provided a way for us to be restored to him and to our original sinless state. Repentance means we ask God to forgive us and to pledge to live our lives His way. The death and resurrection of Jesus grants us eternal life if we have faith in Him. So those are your seven words for Easter. Ruin, love, restoration, death, life, faith, and repentance. And now you know the full and complete Easter story. Easter meant new life for Jesus. And Easter can mean new life for you as well, new spiritual life. If you've not repented yet and committed yourselves to following Jesus Christ, what better day to do it than on Easter morning? He loves you so much that he even died for you. But in order to take advantage of that love and to be saved from your sinful cancer of the soul, you have to follow him. You have to trust him and believe in him. Doubting Thomas said he believed after he saw. But he says, you're blessed if you believe without even seeing. If you'd like to make that commitment to follow Jesus this morning, we have a prayer room off to my left, off to your right. I'd encourage you to go in there and uh, let the people know that you'd like to follow Jesus. And they'll pray with you and maybe give you a little booklet and help you on your journey. Shoot me an email. I'd be happy to know of your decision. Also, I'm, I'm pleased that we have visitors with us this morning. Welcome to Book of Life Community Church. But if this is your journey, we'd love to see a lot more of you. We'd love to get to know you and help you walk with Jesus the best way we know how. One step at a time together. Please bow your heads. Lord God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you 
for sending Jesus to die for our sins and for sharing the story with us of the apostles' faithlessness so that we might be encouraged that maybe we're not as bad as we think we are. In fact, we're even doing better because a lot of us do believe. But I pray for those who are here this morning yet who have not yet made a decision to follow your son, that they would make that decision, that they would choose eternal life, that they would choose forgiveness of sin, that they would choose you, that they would undo the decision that Adam made in the garden, in their own lives, no longer being deceived by the devil, but brought into new life. I pray, Lord God, that you'd bless our children as we go out to do our Easter egg hunt and our piñata, that uh, everybody would have a blast. I pray that nobody would leave here this morning unchanged. New friends, new life, new experience. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.